Hello, everybody, and welcome to the TeacherCast Educational Network. My name is Jeff Bradbury. Welcome to Ask the Tech Coach, the podcast that helps instructional technology coaches and educational leadership. Thank you so much for joining us today. We have a great show for us. Today, we're going to be talking to the authors of a brand new Amazon bestseller book, Edu Protocol Field Guide, Student-Centered Lesson Frames for Infinite <laughs> Learning Possibilities. I got to tell you, I have no idea what that means. I am looking forward to talking to our two guests today. But before we get to that, there's certainly a We're going to treat this as an RTI session for you, Jeffrey. We're going to get you caught up. Lower, slower and louder. That's our deal. And, and, and with that, our guests have entered the building. I want to bring on uh, a good friend of our, of our network here, Mr. John Carippo. John, how are you today? I'm coming off uh, meeting 7,200 of my best friends at Spring Q two weeks ago, so I'm kind of like, Whoa, I'm done relaxing right now. About half of our staff is on vacation this week, so but uh, I was super excited about the book. Now, wait a minute. Some things have changed since the last time you were on the show. You just said the term our staff. Um, you got a new job, didn't you? Yes, they couldn't get anybody else, and so it defaulted to me. Uh, there's a huge backstory on that. Uh, no, I'd been serving as the interim executive director for Q for about six months, and uh, we decided to make it formal March 1st. So uh, I am your new executive director of Q. 19,000 members strong, Jeffrey, and it's it was free membership for a while. I hope you signed up because uh, you, you could have been a member. And does that mean that they give you the, the pole to slide down on and to put the suit on before the keynote speech? How does how does that work? Do you have to like take the take the statue, open the head, and like turn the little knob to make the, the bat poles come out? It's I'll, it's I'll a lot you. more like a, it's a lot more like an Indiana Jones thing. Oh <laughs> go okay. ahead, Marlena. So you have to what, be eighty eight years old to star in it. Okay, I get you. What it means is that somebody comes out and introduces John. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I upgraded to voice of God. Ladies and gentlemen. Not many people realize that I was my own voice of God this year. <laughs> and with that said, let's welcome our second guest, Marlena. Marlena, how are you today? I am good. I'm so glad to be here. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. I, yeah, oh, I am. Uh, I'm. I'm actually a coordinator at our local um, county office of Ed in California. We have county offices of Ed instead of service. You know, some some states have service centers, and I provide technology coaching and support to teachers all over the county. I am, got to tell you guys, I am so happy to have you guys on today. And for anybody out there listening, you can, of course, come over to askthetechcoach.com. Check out this podcast. We are just getting started. Of course, many people have already visited the brand new TeacherCast, seen, seen the relaunch, seen the great stuff that's over there. This show you can find over at Ask the Tech Coach, And, of course, you can... Find us over there, subscribe to our iTunes, subscribe to our Twitter feed, all that great stuff over at askthetechcoach.com. John, the reason I'm excited to have you on today is because a while ago, you and I had some good conversations about professional development. Now, last Ask the Tech Coach show, we had a good friend of yours on, Mike Lawrence, and I started the podcast out by asking him one question that I want to ask you. John, what is the state of professional development in 2018? Well, let's see. Uh, if I could quote Michael Fullan, are you a Michael Fullan fan at all? He's written some really good books. Um, good guy. Michael, Michael Fullan basically, uh, so this is not my thought, but I'm totally down with it, that the state of our, of our profession right now is that we're overly dependent on corporate lesson plans. Mm. And so my take on this is that we've got a whole 
generation of teachers who have just come into the craft in the last 10 years, and they think that if you take away their teacher's edition, that it, chaos will ensue, okay? So th they've been overly formulated as professionals that if without a teacher's edition, chaos will ensue. You'll spend every weekend creating lesson plans and every night grading papers and creating lesson keys. And so I think we've got to shift that perspective. And one of the big things I think that Marlena and I have addressed with the book is that um, you cannot scale the Pied Piper effect in a classroom. You, you, you cannot train people to be funny, interesting, engaging. Uh, and, and I want you to think of various coaches you've been with and various teachers you can do. You can create experiences that have kids doing things that are amazing. That is scalable. And you can take great ideas and have people everywhere using the great ideas to get things done. But when you depend on the teacher to be a Robin Williams type of character, you cannot scale that. And so that's, that's my take on professional development right now. We need to create situations in which teachers have better lesson plans where kids are doing more of the work so that it doesn't depend on the teacher to be part of the cult of personality because it just won't scale. It's not going to. So how do we do that, right? I mean, I, and, and you and I have had these conversations over the last couple of years. And a couple of weeks ago, I put something out on Facebook that, that said, look, hey, I'm doing these full day workshops now. What do I do? And you and others kind of came to my rescue and said, do an icebreaker that is student centered or, you know, in my case, right. teacher centered. And I tried it. We did something called the Great Emoji Challenge, where people had to make an emoji and give it a name and an occupation and a family status and all these different things. And it was something to get them to, to learn how to put these things together. But really, my motivation for doing that was to assess if the teachers knew how to use Google Slides, to get them communicating, to get them to introduce each other and... It was this magical moment where the teachers took this, this silly little emoji figure and gave it a personality. Right. And then right. from there, I asked two questions. I said, what happened to that emoji when they woke up this morning to put them in that mood? And now that that emoji's right. in that mood, how do you teach that emoji? Because that emoji is going to walk into your class. How do you change your lesson for that? And I got to say... That's your fault, right? Like, I, I, and I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not I, saying that. I'm sorry. I, that's your fault, man. Like, you, you gave me I'll that take lesson. The but the idea, Jeffrey, is once again, that lesson works in many grade levels with, with non-students, with teachers, with adults. It's higher order thinking. It's open-ended. And it doesn't depend on your personality to make it go if you explain it well. So that's that same space. Marlena's done a lot of this kind of stuff with um, one of my favorites that I'd like her to share right now is she was she was tasked with teaching a bunch of teachers what the four C's are. How do we classically do that? Here comes 90 slides. You better hang on because at lunch we're going to have chicken and rice. So Marlena, how did you handle the four C's like instead of lecturing it to people? What was your shift? Well, you, you have to find a way to to engage people that's not the structured our lesson plans that we're finding in books are, are not incorporating the four C's. They're not getting kids thinking about what they're doing and reflecting on their own learning. And here's, here's the thing that gets me. If you really look closely at the questions in the teacher's edition, they're too easy. They want to make sure yeah. that the kids can answer the questions because if the kids can't answer the questions, the book looks bad. Mm -hmm. Right? So yeah. the book is easy, has easy questions because we want to make the book look good. And that's not what classrooms should be about, right? Well, so, and that's um, where 
Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I had to add on, but you're on a roll. No, you can yeah. add on. Go on. Well, it's just like the origin of sight words. Sight words, the origin, if you go back to the 1910s, kindergarten teachers weren't sure if they were doing a good job teaching the English language. So they gave them a list of 100 words and said, if your kids know 95% of those words, you're a good teacher. Well, knowing 95 words doesn't get you very far in life. And that, that you, your story made me think of that, Marlene, is that we don't teach to what the text says. We teach to what the kids need. So I'll, I'll be quiet again. So uh, one of the things that we came up with was an activity called Cyber Sandwich. And in this activity, the kids are, the kids are reading a source of material that the teacher's given them. They're annotating it. They're doing all the things the teachers taught them how to do with that piece of material. Then the kids are coming together on a Google Doc. And they're comparing and contrasting. And it could, be, it could be done a couple of ways. But one way uh, that's easy for the younger kids is just what are five things that you noticed about the reading selection and five things that the partner noticed about the reading selection. And then we're going to talk about what we found. Because the kids just need a little deeper understanding, but they need to verbalize it. And having kids verbalize one out loud in the classroom is not engaging every kid in the classroom. So by having them work in partners, Every single kid is sharing and talking about what they read and what that, what that was about and what they found in it. Then they separate out and their own accountability. They actually write their summary paragraph about what they read on their own. So the other fun way to use that is, go ahead. <laughs> I heard it. <laughs> Oh, well, one of the things that Marlena did when she was designing this protocol was the think-pair-share concept is great. Having kids talk about the content is great, but there's no academic output. When you're done, it's just all in the ether. And if you put John and Jeffrey in a group and say, I'm going to give you three minutes to talk about nouns, we're going to spend two and a half minutes talking about anything but nouns. And then the teacher is going to say, only 30 seconds, and I'm going to look over at Jeffrey and go, dude, we need something. And then – and then if, if we don't get called on in the first three rounds, Jeffrey, when that teacher calls on us, I'm going to say, oh, yeah, um, everybody took ours. So Marlena's great move here is she's giving kids silent reading time, note-taking time. They're going to build a Venn diagram together by talking it out. And then what's the last part, Marlena? Because that's where it gets then, really cool. Then they go back to their own space and they write on their own their summary paragraph. But they can use the shared notes that the kids created together. I, lo I love the ideas. I love that you're teaching through the four C's without literally saying to the kids, today we will this collaborate. This is the four C's, yeah. Right. Now, that reminds me. Now, now Today we'll be collaborating, children. Right. Who can say collaborate? Everybody get their <laughs> like, critical ah! thinking caps on. Now, oh, no. oh I, yeah. I, I, I was looking for a way to bring some type of activity in, and I don't know where I got this idea from. But I decided to teach this. I, there was this concept I saw floating around the, the, the Internet, if you will. And it was something like do Google training through the use of Iron Chef. Now, I don't know where I got this idea from, but it worked out amazingly where I had the teachers creating these concepts that use the four C's. But it was completely organic, completely open ended. John, have you ever heard of something like this? Uh, yeah, sounds familiar. I, I can't quote you the page in the book, but that started, uh, the Iron Chef concept started on a road trip about 2009 when we had started a one-to-one -one school and, and a teacher and I were saying, man, we still see everybody just like lecturing and doing word walls and stuff. How do we get away from lecture? So we said, okay, let's steal a TV show. And then we just like the sound of Iron Chef. So basically the super easy version of it is it's a, it's a good old jigsaw. 
It's a jigsaw. Except each kid builds one slide and they pull those slides together. They can either use a 365 or Google slide slide deck. They can even do it with keynote by um, screenshotting uh, their work and dropping them all together. And basically you don't have to do the lecture piece. You give the kids a short article on what they need. George Washington for kids, um, rain cycle for kids, a nice little Wikipedia site. You give them everything they need in a nice little package and you say, here's your task. You have a task. You have a task. You have a task. You have a task. Put kids in about a group of five. You give them 10 minutes to each build one slide. That's the jigsaw part. And then they get a quick two-minute run to share what they learned. All of the groups in the class are doing the same thing. Now at the end, you've booted the kids up so you can have a nice Socratic seminar, which educators want to have that time where you go, so what did you think about this? But the problem is we do that after a lecture where they don't care or after a worksheet where they're burned out. When you do stuff like this and you go really deep using the internet, the kids start saying, I didn't know that. And here's a great one that I learned in Iron Chef. George Washington actually grew up in a single-parent household. His dad died when he was 10. That allows kids to attach their situation a lot of times to George Washington. That's really cool. And um, the idea is that instead of me telling kids, I put them in a safe place to discover it. But that was what I was talking about earlier was Marlena was trying to teach some teachers the four C's. And instead of teaching them the four C's, she found a really cool website and said, you guys tell me what you find about the four C's and put all the work on them. And they, and from what Marlena told me, cause I wasn't there, that it was a much richer experience for them in terms of internalizing the concept, internalizing the verbiage, because it was sort of like a miniature book group. It's like a 10 minute book group. Here's an article, find me some things. Let's talk about them. I'll, I'll give it back to you, Marlena on the PD side on how that went. Well, it, it was it was a great way to engage the teachers. And here's the thing. They found all the things that I wanted to tell them anyway. But I didn't yeah. have to tell them. But you didn't have to tell them. Right. Yeah. And then here's and, the cool part. The cool part is they can take that one activity, whether it be an Iron Chef or whether it be Cyber Sandwich or anything else, and they can use it in any, pretty much, maybe not any, any, but pretty much any subject area that they want. Um, they can adjust that to make it fit math or science or social studies or um, PE or whatever they want. And they just learned this one thing called Iron Chef and they can apply it over and over and over again with the over students. And over and over again. Yep. Well, I think one of the things about professional development that I've picked up is that there's a lot of myths out there. Now, a lot of professional development is to help classrooms, help classroom teachers go paperless, go one-to-one, -one, be innovative on here. And you've got a couple ideas here about either being paper-free or textbook-free. Talk to us a little bit about some of the mindsets that teachers should be having at least to get them up to speed in 2018. I think the biggest mindset that teachers need to have is to be open-minded and to think about um, not narrowing themselves down into one thing, but just be open-minded and trust the kids because when you trust the kids, I hear teachers all the time saying they're teaching me stuff that I didn't know, right? Well, you probably hear that too, John. Um, you yeah. just have to trust the process a little bit and not try to be so tight and controlling over it. Why is that important? Because I think kids own their learning. They, they have a stake in what they're learning. I, and when I, kids have a stake in what they're learning, I think they become more interested and more engaged. Do you find that teachers are afraid of silence? Um, I would say, yeah, you know, I do. Like, and, and what yeah. I mean by that well, is- I think, they, I think some teachers are looking for, oh yeah, yeah. 
they're afraid of crickets when they ask the question, right? right. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, like you ask a question and then you're waiting for the students to respond, and so then you give the answer or you propel the answer and let the room breathe a little bit, right? Like sometimes it's it's okay to have silence, but how long is too long to have silence? If you get to a count of 35, it's a little long. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's where I would say when I first started teaching, they told us to do KWL charts, right? Oh, a KWL chart. But a KWL chart doesn't work with people who don't know what you want to talk about. <laughs> so, so you say, you know, you get a bunch of fourth graders together. What do you guys want to know about volcanoes? And that's that silence you're talking about, Jeffrey, because they're not prepped. If you do a KWL activity with people, and I'm not even talking kids, people, after you do something like a cyber sandwich or something like an Iron Chef, when they're loaded up with ideas and they see the, the finer points to a subject, then they want to talk. It's a much easier process. But if you if you just start from scratch and say, what do you want to know about volcanoes? Oh, my gosh. The, for the kids, it's it's a heavy lift. And they're like, I'm not sure, you know, what you're looking for here. But maybe what about volcanoes blow up? Why do they blow up? And it just puts too much pressure on the kids. I heard I heard a, I heard a teacher today say how, quote unquote, literally, how hard could it be to be a student? You just need to sit in your seat with the book and let me teach you. Wow. And that's a 1980, 1990 mindset. And I think that we don't hear that very often today. And so we tend to think that we tend to forget that that's what education was. Kids right. don't want to learn that way. Kids today are engaged in other things. They're on social media. They're, they're interacting with their peers. They're, in, they're looking at the internet. They want to see color and things that are moving and talking and interesting. And that's how they learn. They don't want to just sit in a desk with a book. The book is yeah. called Bring Your Teaching Into Focus, the Edu Protocol Field Guide. I want to ask you about the title here, Bringing Your Teaching Into Focus. What is it that we're trying to do after we read this book, what do you hope that somebody gets out of this? I think what I just said. We yeah, want and I'll add on to that, which is think about it this way, Jeffrey. Uh, all, almost all of us that, have, that are in this group or watching this broadcast or will watch this broadcast have gone through classic American high school because of our age, right? We've gone through classic American high school. So I want you to visualize a Venn diagram in your head. Marlene is what she just explained. Just sit there. Let me teach you. Just shut up and let me teach you. Okay, the problem with that is when I graduate high school, what are my skills? I can listen for long periods of time. I can read a nine-page doc and do an 80-question Scantron. I can write a five-page essay in silence. Uh, I can uh, Maybe I've been in a sport or a club, and I'm being very generic right now. But that part of that Venn diagram is pretty limited when it comes to what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. If you go to an, a classroom where kids are actively building and doing the thing that they want to learn about, uh, you've got a totally different Venn diagram. How about this? Kids know how to use a professional app like Final Cut or Logic or SketchUp or Pro Tools. Uh, kids can make a website on the fly about something they didn't know half an hour ago. You don't get to those soft skills in a classroom where you just sit quietly all day. And I would, I would point any of your listeners, uh, there was a blog post a couple years ago uh, where a teacher shadowed a kid for three days and just did high school, and they said it was painfully mind-numbing. 
So I always think of this when I go to visit a classroom, what's the Venn diagram of, I don't, I'm not really interested if the teacher has, um, uh, an exciting personality. I'm not really interested in if all the ki- the kids are like, Oh, I can't wait till they tell me the next thing. Like Indiana Jones where the girl and it says, <laughs> love you on her eyelids. We don't need that. And it's not scalable. Here's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see when I walk into a classroom, kids are working in small teams. Some are on paper, some are on computers. They're discussing a problem. They have a time frame. They need to finish. They need to collaborate. They're using technology and paper to think and tell stories and ideas that never is going to happen in a lecture based classroom. Well, let me let me ask you about that there. You said timer. And when we were doing our Iron Chef, just because of, of time, I threw up one of those breakout EDU 45-minute long egg timer videos, right? And yeah. all the teachers looked at that and went, are you nuts? And I went, yeah. no, like, like let's, let's do this, right? Because if not, you're going to get teachers that are sitting there on their phones or they're talking or, you know, like you said, you got two and a half minutes to do whatever, 30 seconds to get your job done. And it's important sometimes to... to Put a little fire under people's behinds. Well, I, I have a friend who says, uh, his name is John Baxter, and he says, it's not officially a game without rules, a score, and a timer. So we're talking a lot about bringing your teaching into focus. Now, this particular show has a lot of listeners who are instructional coaches, much like myself. And they, they I think the question that I'm trying to come up is, how do you train the trainers who then have to provide this type of example for teachers? Where can instructional coaches turn to to look for help on bringing these mindsets into? Because it's you know you're one person on a school district, and sometimes if you're thinking like a Q rock star, John, that doesn't mm-hmm. always jive back in your silo of your high school or of your school district, right? How do you bring right. forth change without looking like? Oh God! Here's this guy again making us do Iron Chef or or the thousand dollar pyramid or something like that. I love the thousand so, dollar pyramid. That's a great idea. So what I do, because that's exactly the situation I'm in. I'm going into schools, and some schools are very innovative and forward thinking, and some schools are not. Some schools I get teachers who were told to come sit with me for the day, and they don't even want to be there. So what I do is I use the protocols, which basically the the entry level skill needed to teach with protocols is Google, Google Slides and Google Docs, fairly basic skills. So I bring them in and I have them do some of these activities with the content in it. Instead of doing George Washington, I'll do um, SAMR or I'll do the four C's and I'll use that as my content in these activities so that teachers are both learning the protocol, but they're also learning a little bit more of the content that they can use to help them with their, with their teaching in their classroom. And then what I do at the end is I go over what, what are the skills that we needed. We needed to insert a picture. We need to put in a link. So let's go through those skills and make sure that they understand the skills that they need. So this, what's in this book is pretty much, um, pretty much what I've been doing in my job all over the county for the last uh, year and a half. I, I use protocols wherever I can, whenever I can with teachers because I think that they're so versatile and they're so useful. And a lot of times in my trainings, I get teachers literally from kindergarten through eighth grade in one room at the same time. So what do you do? You have to come up with something that everybody can do. And these, these, are, these are pretty well uh, adaptable to any grade level. Well, and I've been doing PD for quite a while now, and I'll tell you this, Jeffrey. The average 
group of teachers doesn't act that much differently than your average group of human children. So I'm, I'm not really into andragogy and pedagogy because it, you, you are an experienced designer. And if you create good experiences, it draws people in no matter what their age. And so there's got to be a certain amount of scaffolding and a certain amount of open-endedness. And that's the tension between the two. You want to have enough scaffolding and they feel safe, but enough open-endedness that well, I, I do agree with that 100%. I, I, you know, I've, I've done the orchestra gig enough to know that you can train a third grade orchestra the same way you train an adult orchestra. They're just taller or smaller humans. I've said that one a couple of times here. But I do believe that there's a difference between daytime professional development, sorry, weekday professional development and weekend professional development, mm -hmm. right? Like the typical group of people you see at a Q or an ISTE or an ed camp right. is not your three o'clock Monday afternoon. I'm looking at my watch. How long do I have to be contracted here? And if it's right. four o'clock, I'm going to get out whether the principal's ready to do. It's a different mindset, especially as, a, as an ed tech coach. I, I have to prepare to be awesome and amazing and, and Carippo-ish. Sorry, Marlena, but but I can't do a Q Rockstar presentation necessarily on a Monday okay. that I can do on a Saturday. Okay, so Marlena saw me do this when we worked together in our district, which is this. If you're going to have a PD event, you can't make everybody do the same thing. You're going to give them layers. So there's some from a professional mm -hmm. development point of view, you're going to have choice is your number one thing. Number two thing is – your hot rod teachers, the ones that are going to sit in the back and either, and I don't, I'm not meaning to upset you hot rod teachers, but you know who you are. You're doing the adult coloring book, you're crocheting, you're doing grades because you already know this, right? It's going too slow for you. I identify those folks and I help them be trainers. What are you good at? You're good at Seesaw. Can you show 15 people how to do that? You're good at Google Slides. Can you show 10 people how to do that? So you you take that upper layer that you help them learn and you incentivize them. They get some Starbucks. They get a half-day sub. They get some stuff to get them going. And then with the middle to low group, you got to go fast enough to be effective but not too fast to hurt their feelings. And what you want to do is you want to give them choices. So what Marlena and I used to do was we had six sessions available. You could pick any four. And this one was required. And it gave people a sense of control over their day. That lowered that filter a lot. But what you also are going to do in parallel is you're going to do detailed uh, smaller group activities for the people who are not comfortable with change, which, again, Marlena was magnificent at. She'd go out and have Monday nights with just these four or five or six people. And then we're also sending our very, very best people to the very, very best events. So we're stretching everybody or stretching them in a context that works for them. And what happens is when the group realizes they're all getting better, it all the momentum just goes like this. Well, let's think about some of those events to go to. Of course, ed camps are awesome. They're all over the place. This year, we all have the opportunity to go and meet each other in Chicago at the ISTE conference. Of course, you can find information over at isteconference.org. Uh, John Marlena, you are going to be presenting at the conference, aren't you? We are. We are. She made me sign up. That, that is awesome. <laughs> I'm okay with it. We are presenting our book. We're presenting a session uh, about uh, get rid of worksheets in your classroom forever. And we're pretty excited about it. But that's not the only place. Teachers can also uh, visit in on podcasts like you have right here. And they can also be on Twitter. There's hashtags to follow and Twitter chats to follow. And what's cool about those is they don't cost anything. 
And if you're busy tonight, you don't have to go do it. But if you're free, you can join in on, on many of those. One of the places that I like to find great information is the Q uh, blog. And, and pod, you, you've got a blog and podcast over there, John, don't you? Oh, I don't have a podcast myself. At, at but Q. what we've done is we've connected up with some of our friends uh, by the name of uh, Brian Briggs and Ryan O'Donnell. And they do the Check This Out podcast, which I would argue um, – they have the best living combination of technical geekiness and just wacky, goofy humor. They, they, there's got to be an award for that, whatever category there, because I know lots of people that are wacky, geeky. I know a lot of people that have advanced thought processes, but these guys are just straight up goofy. It is a laugh fest while you do it. So that's the check this out with Brian and Ryan, who are they've turned into one person now. They're called Rye Bry. Uh, so we have a lot of really, really cool resources. We've reimagined our blog. It's now just called OnQ. So folks go to on.q.org. We've got some great stuff there on pedagogy and pedagogical thinking, uh, school culture, technology use, all kinds of really neat crossover things there. That is pretty darn cool. Marlena, where can we find out more information about the great things that you're doing? Well, you can check on to eduprotocols.com. Our new website that has some samples and some templates for teachers to be able to download and use. And they're, they're just Google and Google platform that you can use. And also I'm on Twitter at at M Hebern, H-E-B-E-R-N. Wait, I just got really sad because it feels like you're wrapping up the show on us. Not at all. I am segmenting <laughs> okay, to give you guys a commercial here. Okay. I'm going to another topic, Mr. Caribo. Okay, because okay, I was just losing it. I was having like separation anxiety. No, no, no. In fact, I, I want to talk about something. I, I'm, I'm purposely putting you in an uncomfortable situation, John, because I'm going to ask you a question you told me you would never answer for me. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about creating the perfect request for proposal. And this is a topic that you know well, John. And uh, you had once told me that I was not allowed to know this information because I was not at your session. And the reason, <laughs> I, the reason I was not at said session was because I was teaching my own session at the time. And you said, too bad. Now, you're here on the podcast, darn it. I'd love Throw to have you. Throw me under the bus, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm trying to slag you some books, John. Okay. <laughs> Talk to I'm us. I'm okay with that, too. Talk to us a little bit about proposals here, because it is coming into that season where you have ISTE and, and all these different places. How do you make right. a successful proposal? Well, so, being that I wrote the one for ISTE. Yeah, being, you should ask Marlena maybe first. Maybe you'd like to know. Yeah. <laughs> do it. I'll tell you my secret, and then John can tell you yours. Uh, read what they want, and then write your proposal and then reread what they want and check that you've included all of the categories that they want. Don't go after the categories uh, like an ISTE that's the most popular. Try to find one of the categories that's less popular. You'll have a better chance. And uh, try to make it have an engaging name that's going to attract people. John's, John worked with me for a long time on writing names, and he's probably still better at it than I am. But uh, names got to grab you because if, people don't if they're not grabbed by the name of a session, they'll go somewhere else. And make your description just sound fun and, and like it's going to be a good time. That's what people want. Do you name your session Iron Chef Google Apps or is that too out there? Or do you save that stuff for once they show up and you got them in their seats? Is the session about yeah, an activity or is the session about the deeper learning of collaboration or communication or community or something like that? 
That'd yeah. be my question. Excellent. Excellent, Marlena. And I'll add on with some just some finer points because she's got the basics there. But when people are skimming through the SCAD or the program, they're going to spend about a 20th of a second evaluating your session title. So when you say Iron Chef, you're gone to nomenclature. If you say something like this, stop lecturing and needing worksheets with Google Slides. Now you got something, right? Now people are like, oh, what's that? Uh, the trick is to find the sweet spot. Um, I like what Marlena said in terms of you don't want to do the same thing everybody else is doing. Like there was a time period where a session on Minecraft was glutted, right? So um, you got to be careful with that. You want to be leading edge, but not too leading edge. Like for example, right now I'm gonna seesaw, but I'll get, I'll bet you that people got a lot of seesaw submissions that went into ISTE. So you want to find something that's on the edge a little bit like that. You want to stay away from jargon. Um, don't use things like this. Uh, Iron Chef and Google Slides and blah, blah, blah. Oh, my. Stay, stay away <laughs> from anything. Oh, my. Um, and then uh, when you look in the blurb, the actual blurb. So step one is get their attention with a catchy title, but it can't be too arcane or too um, nomenclature-y, right? It's got to be teach better, teach easier teach with Google Slides, something like that. Then when they look at the blurb, they got to go, oh my God, I got to be there. So you want to drop a little bit of your street cred, you know, been using this for eight years, uh, been using this a one-to-one -one environment for five years. You want to, you want to give people that uh, you're going to have the entire ecosystem to be able to do this thing. So you don't want to be just a tool. You don't want to say, come see Seesaw. You're not going to jump out. And I'm not picking on Seesaw. I love that tool. But you don't want to say, come see Edmodo, come see Doing, come see whatever. You don't want to be a one-trick pony that way. You want to share with people that their teaching will be more effective and more enjoyable because of the secret recipe you're going to share with them. Now, you said be do, do something that's going to put you out of the pack. Let's say that, oh, you're in my position and you're creating 20 sessions that your school, like, you know, like for instance, I run these things called cardinal classes. I am the guy for the school district. I've made up a menu of 20 things. Now, should all 20 of those things be those types of, of outlets or should you literally just say, no, no. Go, and then can you do Google Docs basically Google Docs advanced? Right. right? Now you're into gold, Jeffrey, because now you do this, Iron Chef with Google Slides for primary. You just lit up a whole nother thought group. Iron Chef, your math vocabulary, another group. Use Iron Chef to teach STEAM so you can then have sub-targets. So you've got the tool itself, the ease of use and the mindset, and then the subgroup, primary. They're, they're hungry. Primary is hungry right now. If you share a something that's primary-centric, you have a pretty good job of peeling off a group of people that are like, I want to try this. Steam is pretty popular. Um, math is still popular, amazingly enough. People are looking for different ways to teach math, Desmos, things like that. How, how, okay, so now I'm going to ask you the personal question here. Technology, math class, but you can't use the words equatio, Desmos, and you have to defend the fact that math and Google don't work together. Easy. Please. You want to go first, Marlena? Please. You go right ahead. <laughs> oh, that's easy. Three-act math. Three-act math. It's that easy. Well, I'd say spreadsheets. Get into spreadsheets yeah. and use some spreadsheets. Spreadsheets is another good angle. Yep. Spreadsheets other, is a great angle. The other thing is think about using an activity like Cyber Sandwich where kids are 
working through a math problem, comparing their mm -hmm. process, and then recording their process, reporting their yep. process, and then reflecting on their process. Because part of what we're trying to do with kids is tell how you solved it and be able to articulate how they did it and what they did. If there was mm -hmm. only a place that I could learn how to bring my teaching into focus, Marlena, where would I go to find a place uh, where maybe I could read about this? Is this good? <laughs> It's, a, it's, a, it's, an, it's an audio show. <laughs> it's an audio well, show. It, Go to the Edge it, Protocol Field Guide. Um, and also follow well, and, the, the Twitter and, hashtag. And if people want to test drive it, they can they can go to edgeprotocols.com. We've got open source samples they can drop there. And then like Mar Marlena said, it's, go, it's, it's really going – like we thought it was cool, but it's going way bigger than we thought. And – if people go to Edu Protocols, they can see people that are actually taking these things and taking them to their classroom and then personalizing them for their grade level or their subject matter. It's amazing to watch teachers do it. And the analogy that I use is nachos, right? Nachos started out as um, chips with some yellow sauce that looks like paint, right? But now we have, we have uh, pulled pork nachos. And then pulled pork nachos led to loaded nachos. Now, loaded nachos at some point out west turned into carne asada fries, which are basically nachos on French fries. And then another restaurant cranked up pastrami fries. So this was a place that's famous for their pastrami sandwiches. So they give you a pile of fries, a layer of chili, cheese, and pastrami on top. And then last week I saw corned beef fries. And this is the mentality that we're trying to bring to education, which is, Marlena's cyber sandwich might be set up for a fourth grade class that's studying history, but the mindset and workflow works just as good for a seventh grade class that wants to explore math vocabulary. The practice is the same. The thing that changes is the content, and we can all work on the practice. And one of our friends, uh, Jeremiah Roish, uh, was at an event with us uh, last week. And you know what he added to the mix, Jeffrey? He added Flipgrid to the mix. So he mm -hmm. took Marlena's idea of read, gather facts, and then they shared together, and then they did a Flipgrid to share their findings. Well, uh, it's a different outcome than we had originally imagined, just like the guy that invented nachos could never visualize pastrami fries. Um, but the, the content idea is the same. The kids are talking about academic content using Flipgrid. So he totally took this other swirl. It's kind of like, um, it's kind of like caramel with, um, with salt in it, right? Salted caramel. It sounds weird, but you eat it and you go, oh my God, this totally makes sense. Why are we not doing this? So that's, what's the power I think of edge protocols is we've got these frameworks going and people can add a tool here. Or add a tool there. I saw another teacher that did this little twist. I was talking about Freyer models. And she dropped her Freyer model into a Google drawing. And she gave the kids 10 red and 10 blue squares to make the fraction in one corner. She just basically turned Google drawing into an endless supply of manipulatives. That's beautiful, man. But she was working off the Freyer model, which is something that was invented in the late 1960s. So when teachers start talking about that level of geekiness, this is the, 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 the equivalent of beer geeks moving from I brewed an IPA to I brewed a porter to I brewed a chocolate porter to I brewed a nitro chocolate porter. You're getting all these riffs and wrinkles. Everybody still gets what the beer is, but the change is all these little additives.
There are, of course, several great ways that you can reach out and, and ask questions of our panel here. And, of course, uh, reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter at TeacherCast. And, of course, you can check out this show over on AskTheTechCoach.com. We've talked about teachers being innovative in their classrooms. We've talked about technology coaches helping to teach those teachers how to do that. Let's go one level bigger on the umbrella here. I know that Marlena and John, you and myself are no strangers to creating conferences to then train the masses to then train the masses. What advice can you give anybody out there who might be saying to themselves, you know, I've been to an ed camp. I'd like to create one. I've been to a teach meet. I want to create one. I, there, I, I see people doing these. I want to be part of that movement to actually create bigger change in my community. Um, Marlena, let me start with you here. What what advice can you give after being a uh, co-creator of uh, EdCamp Yosemite? EdCamp Yosemite. So if you're interested in putting on a conference, an EdCamp is an easy, easy way to go because you don't have to worry about the sessions. All that happens right there you at need the a schedule. conference. You don't need to have the schedule ahead of time. They're very low-budget friendly. Teachers just come. Uh, we give them little paper name tags. We didn't do a lot of swag and giveaways at our conference because it's just that's one more layer of planning that we didn't have the time to do. Teachers, they're happy just learning. They don't necessarily need to have a lot of prizes. And the EdCamp Foundation provides fabulous resources online at the EdCamp Foundation website uh, for teachers to use or educators to use to be able to put on the website. They'll help you create the, they give you guidance for creating logos, for planning, you know, all the steps that you need to do. And, and John, talk to us about taking it the step further. I mean, ed camps are, are, are amazing creatures, but then I see the tweets coming out of the Q conferences and, and dude, the, the, the boards, the billboards, the lights, the flashing, the I, I can't wait to be able to get out there one day. Talk to us a little bit about what it takes or what it's like to create the Q conference. Wow. Seventy two hundred people. 79 million emails saying what day does it start and how do I get signed up? You know, it's just, it's intense. Uh, we had a mostly rookie crew this year putting it on and, um, it's, it's a lot of fun and it's scary fun. Um, I'm lucky that I started when I started doing the rockstar camps about almost seven years ago. Now, I think I got to do a lot of little camps and built my way up similar to what an ed camp looks like. And so the Rockstar camps all run about 100, 150 people. So um, Danielle and I at Q, we ran about 180 events a year for the last three years. So you get really good at things like certificate of insurance and contracts and timelines and get all that kind of stuff. But it's really, it's actually not that hard. Uh, I would say if somebody's interested in doing something like that, the easiest thing is go to your biggest conferences and start taking notes and see what they do. And um, it, you get a couple softwares, and if, if you or somebody else is interested, I wouldn't mind taking this offline and giving folks you know, like detailed ways to do this. I don't want to go on and on. But um, I would say the big secret sauce is this, Jeffrey. The event has got to be fun, and you've got to have amazing uh, presenters who are willing to be there for each other and not for cash. And that's one of the big mistakes I see people, they, they bring in high dollar speakers. The high dollar speaker comes in, whips up the audience and leaves. Mm -hmm. 
And when these things really work is when, and I'll give uh, George Kuros a shout out. Last year, he did a great keynote for us. And then that night was <laughs> well up to his elbows into the karaoke night <laughs> that we had and really enjoying people and mixing with them. And that's, that's the kind of people people are looking for is people that come and hang out. Uh, Matt Miller was kind of the same way for us this year where he, he came in and he did our kickoff keynote with a ditch that textbook, but then he like hung around and went to sessions and met people. And it's in his interest to extend his network, but it also says a lot about the honesty and sincerity of the event. And that honesty and sincerity is key that people really about to be there for the right reasons. We, uh, we do have a, a, a guest that is actually texting us a question right now as we speak and as All we right. this. Um, Coming in here from uh, the great state of California, actually. Uh, Mr. Caripa, the question is for you. How do you feel about puppets in education? Uh, I love puppets and education. Uh, I consider myself uh, an edu puppet. Uh, several people here at Q tell me what to do, and then I just do it. I'm, just, I'm really just a hollowed out shell. Uh, Marlena, would you say that Mr. Crippa was more of a Statler or a Waldorf? <laughs> oh, that's a hard one. I, I think it could go either way. How I think so? it could go either way. <laughs> how, how, how so on that one? John, what depends would you say? Are you more I'd the say it depends on what day it is, really, what kind of moon I'm in. <laughs> The book is called Bringing, Bring Your Teaching Into Focus, Edu Protocol Field Guide. Before I, I do wrap this up here, I was wondering if I can introduce you to what I call the Jersey Five. Five questions uh, that I like to do at the end of some of my shows here to kind of make not only my guests think, but make my audience, who's probably still driving to work this morning, um, to think here. Would you guys be interested in taking, I've never done this with two people, but would you guys be interested in taking the Jersey Five? Absolutely. Let's do, it. let's do this. All right. Uh, let's do this. Let's do ladies first. Marlena first. And John, give her an opportunity to speak fully on this. And then you'll have your turn. Okay, Marlena? You can call okay. me when it's my time. I, I will call you maybe. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and see, this is the hard thing is John's going to now have time to answer the question, to think about the answer here. But okay. Uh, question number one, Marlena, your favorite Twitter account to follow or hashtag? Well, John Carippo, of course. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I didn't talk. I didn't have to say anything. <laughs> um, ooh, I don't, I don't know that I have necessarily a favorite. I have to, I have to admit, I just, I actually skim a lot. So I, I don't really have a favorite. I like to hear actually what really unpopular and uncommon people have to say. Sometimes they have the most amazing insights and sometimes people who are, you know, super popular and connected have canned insights. But sometimes I just like to hear what people say. John? Favorite are you talking or, to me now? Yes. Favorite, favorite Twitter or hashtag to follow? Who I would say one of my favorites is California Ed Chat. A lot of great people there. Mm -hmm. um, and favorite like Twitter individual. That's a tricky one. Uh, I'm I'm gonna just say uh, people that I see at California Ed Chat. That's that's what I would say on that. Um, they really represent the core of some of the greatest folks happening in California. Uh, we are Q is a pretty good one too. All right. Uh, let's see, John. You can have the first one here. Uh, question number two: Your favorite educational tool, app, something. 
I would have to say if I, if this is desert island time, right? Yes. This is desert island time. I'm going to have to go with Google Slides. I can get almost anything done in that stuff, man. That's the bottom line. I, I, I love that. I did a three and a half hour workshop today on Google Slides and I had and, and it was very awesome just to see teachers go, oh, I mean, it's not like boring. You can boring. do. You can do choose your own adventure. You can do collages. You can do videos. You can do animations. You can do um, fake blog posts. It's just out of control. Marlena, uh, favorite educational tool? I I love Google Sites. I put all kinds of stuff on Google Sites. I've got my trainings on Google Sites. I put notes on Google Sites when I'm in meetings sometimes. It's just I find it to be a really versatile tool for um just recording and collecting things. Awesome. Uh, number three, Marlena, best advice you've ever been given as a, and sometimes I say podcaster, teacher, coach, leader, whatever, oh, but best yes. advice you've ever been given as a fill in the blank. Best advice I was ever given as a, oh my goodness. Um, I think best advice as I was ever given as a mother was to enjoy your kids when you have them. And I think that just transcends whatever you're doing. Just try to enjoy the space you're in at the time because it won't be there very long. John, beat that one. Are you <laughs> oh, it's easy. Uh, I got a lot, but probably my, my favorite one was my college football coach who quoted us, uh, the Greek philosopher, and he said, take charge of your life and do with it what you will. All right. Uh, let's see. Question four. John here. What do you now? I, I'm going to say the question, but let's see how we can handle this. The, the question. Oh, by the way, I, I just signed up for EdCamp Mammoth right now while we're talking. That's how easy it is for your PD people. I just made an EdCamp. Awesome. I was in the mood, so we got one now. Um, so the question is, what do you hope your students remember about you when they graduate at the end of the year? But please help me translate that for whatever would suit best for you. But what do you hope people remember at you after a conference or after a speech or after a reading this book or something like that? Your turn, John. You told me not to talk unless you ask me a question. <laughs> I would say that the biggest thing that I would like kids to remember from being in my class was that they valued our time together. And I need to explain that a little bit. I hope that they they received grace and empathy on hard days. I hope that they they feel like they chased me around and taught me some things. And I hope that they also had a good academic experience, that they, they are somehow better academically for being in my class. So to me, value is a very interesting word there because it doesn't mean it was easy and it doesn't mean it was hard. It means that at the end of the year, they go, wow, I know a lot of stuff right now. So that, that would be that would be my that would be my thought. Marlena. I would say that I want them to remember um, from me that that they felt uh, valued. But I was going to take it a different direction than John did, but valued in their social and emotional well-being that they they feel good at the end of the day. Good right. about themselves. Good and, about themselves. And and number five here, and this is always the hardest question. So uh, let's say we'll start with Marlena. And what is your best teachable moment you've ever had? Teachable, uh, teachable for me, or teachable for somebody else? For you. For me. Oh, the okay. That's a good one. Uh, my aunt. My aunt, who's passed away now, uh, many years ago, was a teacher. And she asked me a question once, 
and uh, left it as an open-ended question. She asked me this question, how do students in your class know that the vowels are short or long? And she never answered. She left that to me. I spent years thinking about that question, and it actually is what prompted me to go back, partly, and get my master's degree in teaching reading. That's cool. John? That's pretty. Oh, I have to tell this one without crying. Uh, the what comes to mind for me was literally my first full class. I started as an emergency credential teacher, and um, I, I, I picked up a fifth grade class for a while, and then I got a fourth grade class as my first full year of class. And um, I will tell you that... I had a girl in my class who was, um, she was challenged, and she was clearly, uh, she was a resource student, and she wasn't all too graceful, and she wore jellies to class every day. That was the only shoes she had, and she had glasses that were taped together in three places. Then one day when I was going by her desk, um, she had an I suck about 90 times on it. And I, I, I stopped and I said, Teresa, what's going on? And she said, said I ate a booger. And the problem was that might have been true. Uh, <laughs> it's entirely possible that happened. But I realized that was the first moment that I needed to stand up for a kid. I was all she had and I needed to make that work for her. And I had about eight seconds of thinking, what am I going to do with this? And um, I announced to the class. I said, everybody, I need to make an announcement. Uh, Teresa is going to be first in line for lunch for the rest of the year. And as you know, that's a big deal in fourth grade. And she looked at me and with these eyes that were saying, well, dude, you're killing me. How is this helping? And the whole class went, ooh. Right, they started that whole thing. And then I announced that since she was the new lunch princess every day, she would be able to pick five friends who could go to lunch with her first. And all these hands shot up. And within three seconds, her whole booger problem was gone. And I realized that that's the force I could be for kids in class. So. That's, that was my teachable moment of understanding the power that I wielded in class. Guys, I want to say thank you so much for, for, for your time tonight and coming on the show. Of course, the book is Bring Your Teaching Into Focus, the Edu Protocol Field Guide, available anywhere books can be sold uh, on Amazon. Um, bestseller, I, I would add. Guys, thank you so much uh, for coming on today. Thanks for having us. Super thanks for having us, Jeffrey. It's always fun. And, of course, you guys are welcome on to come on any time of the show. Of course, we want to say thank you guys out there for being a, for making TeacherCast a part of your professional learning network. You can find us over on Twitter at TeacherCast. And, of course, check out this podcast over at AskTheTechCoach.com where you can find all of our subscribe links and all of our other great episodes. On behalf of everybody here on the TeacherCast Educational Network, my name is Jeff Bradbury, reminding you to keep up the great work in your classrooms and continue sharing your passions with your students. 